Hey folks, welcome back to the Midnight Mass. This episode, we invited Marcus Square, a Malaysian textile artist slash designer who's based in The Hague or the Netherlands right now to share about his journey as a textile artist abroad. Hey Marcus, how are you? I'm, I'm good. I am Sam, uh, by the way. Yeah. I like to see you. My name is Marcos. <laughs> yeah, Marcos. Um, you came a long way, man. Like, and you have a very interesting journey in your art practice and also slash designer practice. You are kind of like, I mean, you call yourself artist, but you're trained as a designer, right? I mean, we, we spoke about this, and we all have uh, three of us have these similar traits. You know, like we both pra- we all practice some kind of art, but at the same time, we all put in our designer head as well. So, Marcos, you want to introduce yourself? Um, yeah, I guess my name is Marcos. Uh, I come from Sarawak, um, Kuching. And like what Jowin said, I, I was trained as a graphic design for maybe seven years. And then after that, I switched into textile design. And then now I'm practicing as a contemporary artist uh, in the Netherlands. Currently, I'm in Amsterdam. <laughs> Just for tonight. But I'm based in the hate. Yeah. That's nice. nothing productive, I think. <laughs> you, man, you, I mean uh, I mean you 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 have an impressive resume, I would say. <laughs> that that would be I mean what you're saying is just like the, the basic tip of the iceberg. But I I mean I stumbled upon your work. I didn't know who you were, but I stumbled upon your work at the bedroom. Ah, that uh yeah, so I didn't know who you were, but I was very struck by by your your textile work at that time. Uh, was it was it a like a Lisa who who called you to uh to do a show in the bedroom? Yeah, it was a long story because I actually did a show uh around the time when I met Joanne the first time. I also was preparing for a show, uh for the bedroom. It was my first mm-hmm. time doing a show as in a, in the art space. But back then mm-hmm. I was still doing graphic design. So after I graduated, there were a few people from Malaysia who also saw my work and they wanted me to join Malaysia. But I was actually just going back to Malaysia yeah. because my mom is asking me to go back home after like <laughs> three years and four years not being home for Chinese year. She's like, if you don't come back home, then I'm not going to be your mom anymore. Don't call me mother anymore. <laughs> I'm like, okay, fine. Like, I can't not go back home. But since I'm going back home and then all these girls are asking and Lisa was like, you know, like, do you want to show or not? I'm like, you're fine, you know. Like, Lisa was the first one who showed me. So I was like, you know what? Mm. I'll do a small show. Mm. Uh, well, mainly because I wasn't ready to show so much of my work in Malaysia yet. I think I was not ready to, to completely dive into the conversation in Malaysia. So I think that's a different, like, level of, like, um, yeah, when, when I'm, I'm doing my decolonial work here and doing my decolonial work in Malaysia, I think that's a bit of a difference. Oh, really? So because, like, you know, yeah, when, you, when you're doing work like this from a distance, it doesn't feel so personal, but when you're doing it in uh, front of, like, your subjects, it's, like, a bit more scary. Intimidating. Yes, intimidating. intimidating. Yes. It feels more yeah. real. And yes. I don't know if I'm ready for that. So yes. that's also why I, I, I was a bit hesitant. But it, it was a good show. I enjoyed uh, spending time back in Malaysia again. And then hearing people's perspectives, uh, also s- not only introducing myself to the art scene, but also mm. getting 
getting to know as well like what the art scene is like in Malaysia because I've never been in the art scene before. I was mm. more into the design scene uh, back then. Mm. But, yeah. I mean, similar to me, I mean, I'm quite fairly new into like the local Malaysian art scene. Before this, I was mainly, I, I was never brave enough to actually call my works as uh, as, as artworks for a very long time. <laughs> I don't know. It's uh, it's I don't know imposter syndrome or what, but I I I didn't call my works an an artwork until very 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 recently, maybe four years ago. Before that, it was always like a design work, or it, it's always it's always a speculative design thing. So it was never I could never find the courage to actually call it an artwork. So I understand your sentiments around that and. For me, I'm also trying to understand the local art scene and the whole ecosystem and what people, because I know in Malaysia there's there's the thing if you're not a, a fine art sort of graduate, there's always that um that hesitancy with some people to take you seriously. That's what I've realized with I guess certain collectors or even even among artists they have their own circles. I mean, but the whole discussion of ecosystems is for another day, I guess. But <laughs> what I wanted to say to you is that I, I think the, the the work you showed at the bedroom was very relevant. And I think, I was struck by your craft. I think it's amazing how you, how you were from a graphic design background. But and then, although graphic design and textile is a logical jump, but and then the topics that you that you take on is very is very I will I would say very you it's very personal to you but also very relevant to Malaysia at at the time that it's in now especially after the new government and then the whole COVID um, the whole COVID era times so I mean I, I'd like to ask you something what made you what made you jump from graphic design into at least and an more art centric role I mean, I'm just interested. Like, why? I mean, you. I. I assume you've practiced, and graphic design as as, I guess, providing a service or at least as an artist within the graphic design sense. So I'd like to backtrack a bit and ask you how you, sort of, meandered into that role. Um. Oh, there's a very there's a very I've never really thought about that question, but I come from design. It's okay. like this really small school in the in Wangsamaju, which is like in the middle mm. of the mountains, right? And when I was studying in Dasan, of course, uh, it was an art school, so you know, there's also like fine art students there. Mm. And I think the type of education they provided for me in Dasan was also very human centric. You know, mm. we don't only do like design, but we also like contemplating as well, like why do we do design? Mm. And when you're trying to do design as well, how do you include the humanness in in the design? You know. And oddly enough, you know, when you're thinking about doing arts as well, that's also like kind of like mm. what an Asian kind of like stereotypical like artist would do, you know, like, you know, like when you're thinking about art, it's like, you know, about daily life, about uh, how, how you know, like you're putting out visuals into the world and what does it mean? So it becomes a tiny bit like, you know, borderline philosophical at all. I think a lot of times when I was studying the science, but there was not a lot of like solid vocabulary that we can use to kind of describe what I'm actually doing or what we're actually practicing. But of course, you know, like, even though graphic design is such a commercial thing, my lecture also wanted it to be also be like, you know, purposeful or meaningful. You know, like there's, there's supposed to be a meaning in why you are designing a signage 
for someone's business, you know? And that kind of let let you let me into at least thinking of like, you know, how can we do design in a cliche term, like how do you do design for the soul? You know, when you're doing design, how do you include the humanness so that when people experience your design as well, that there's a level of humanness, even though like, you know, you're doing this as a commerce, uh, as a business venture as well or whatever. It also has a lot to do with the fact that um, the school that I came from, Dasein, it was also a low-income school. I think a lot of the students there come from low-income families. And I did ask my health department as well, like, you know, what's the purpose of like doing this, you know, design thing when a lot of all these students are not going to end up in the design field anyways, you know. Um, and it's also so brave of like a lot of all these like parents of these students to send them to art school knowing that, you know, they're from low income. Mm-hmm. And you know the situation in the in a developing country that's not like the priority, right? Mm-hmm. And my lecturer was just telling me like, you know, like as long as you finish this course in three years, uh, and you can see the world a bit differently, right? When you go and order something from a restaurant and you can point out why is this font, is, why, why did they choose this font? Or like when you yourself eventually, if let's say you can, you're not planning to do, it, to do design, you're helping your dad run a, run a store, you can be like, oh, maybe I can change the signage so that it's a bit clearer. That in itself is already like, you know, an improvement in whatever they're learning in their livelihoods, you know, that, that in the small part is already, um, you know, the purpose of design education. And I thought there was, there was, there was such an artistic and poetic mm. way to kind of do education. And that kind of like uh, started the foundation on how I ventured into whatever I'm doing right now. It's still the same ideas. It's just that right now, I guess people categorize it as art. Mm. Yeah, so it's a bit weird. That makes sense. No, it makes sense. Makes sense. <laughs> I mean the the jump to to take that style, but then which I was scrolling through your uh Instagram right, and then from since your earlier postpone, you've always been I guess adamant with trying to portray or infuse traditional crafts in, and you you sort of like built on the or explored on the idea of craft into your own messaging, but and then I was wondering. What, why much did so rooted somehow from the beginning that because i would i would imagine if 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 i were given the opportunity to go to i guess the royal academy to study arts i would have sort of been swept away by i guess modern art or i guess really the western ideas of what art should be uh, so i was struck by how how you were quite rooted earlier on and i i, I just wanted to ask where that came from i mean was it your intention from the beginning to portray, I guess, maybe your heritage, punya craft, or um, a sort of, I don't know, you want to message it to the world from the beginning? Was that your intention? Or it was just something that you stuck to even though you didn't know where it could lead necessarily? Yeah. It's weird because, it, again, I still think about this conversation I had in the same school that's I with my okay. health department, right? And I was like, I, my like, my health department asked me a long time ago, it's like, Marcos, what type of graphic design do you want to be? What's your goal in life? Mm. It's like, I want to be like Steven Sackmeister. So that's like the Andy Warhol of like the finance yep. world. Yep, yep. And she's like, you know that you'll never be like Steven Sackmeister, right? I'm like, why? <laughs> and she's like, you're, he's from New York. And he's doing work about New York and you're a Malaysian. And no matter how hard you try, 
you will never be New York. Right. Mm. So the only thing that you can do is to figure out yourself from Malaysia. You know, like you are Malaysian designer. You are not a New York designer. The reason why their works are so powerful is because they're authentically, you know, doing whatever mm. environment they're in. And that got me into this long, long, long journey of like, you know, trying to figure myself out as a Malaysian designer where I'm at as well. And also to see, you know, like a bit of value in what it means to be coming from a developing country, I guess. Coming to the Netherlands as well, the thought never kind of went away because I always, I'm always also challenging, even with my lectures as well. I have conversations that, you know, like, am I coming to this school? to integrate into a Dutch society so that I can con Dutch mm. economy? Mm. Or are you inviting so much international students into your educational system to add on to your diversity and inclusivity? You know, that, <laughs> but when you're having this conversation about diversity and inclusivity as well, mm. what do you want me to add? You know, if you want more a more diverse, a more diverse pool of like um, discussions mm. uh, or discourses, then doesn't it make more sense for me to be more authentic to who I am as a human being or where do I come from? Then, you know, like I can also bring value to the place that I'm also like, you know, doing my research or doing my practice in, you know? Mm. Do you want me to be another Dutch citizen to to just do something very Dutch? Or yes. Is it, more, is it more valuable for me to be Malaysian to add on to the local discourse as well? I'm not mm. trying to say that, you know, like, I don't want to be your friend or I want to exclude mm. myself from this or I want to be special. It's just, you know, there's always this weigh-ins as well, you know, like which one is more valuable at the moment? How do I contribute more? At which, in which area can I contribute more when, when it comes under this type of discussions? At least for me, I feel like both discussions, uh, both ways is is okay, you know? You, if, if you're an artist and you choose to do either way, it is fine. But for me, I still think that based on my values that I'm trying to practice, being more Malaysian adds on to more complexity to the discourse. You know, mm. I don't need to shy away from or being be shameful about who I am as a human being. And it gives a bit more authenticity to authenticity to what I do as well in this country. Mm. Yeah. Oh. I think it's definitely justified. I mean, that the it, it wasn't one of your works acquired by Stanley. Uh, museum, so I think that's that's I think that's quite. How do you pronounce it? Stedelijk or Stedelijk? Yeah, it's a very complicated word. It's Stedelijk, but we just call it Stedelijk. It's because it's right? Yeah, yeah. Stedelijk. Uh. So I mean, to the audience who don't know, I mean, Marcos's work has been acquired by, among others, by the Stedelijk. So I think it's quite impressive that I think your decision to to take on your own narrative as a Malaysian onto a global voice I think I think it paid off like. I mean that's, that's how it, it worked out and I think I'm, I'm quite impressed by your large scale works and I mean I, I'm, I'm actually quite interested in your fabrication process it seems that are you now incorporating is, is it like a 3D printing not 3D printing but it's a digital knitting process for your current works or it's, is it by hand I'm just, I mean, so, I'm, I'm fascinated by it, yeah. So I exclusively work with weaving. Okay. And weaving is a different technique from knitting. Okay. And knitting, you can imagine like jumpers, you know, like yes, yes, coke yes. with jumpers. But weaving is like the technique where like, you know, ancient Egyptians were already used. And hmm. in Malaysia, mostly we do weaving because yep. knitting is a more 
recent industrial technique. We're not going to oh, get okay. into so much. Okay. But the reason why I got into weaving as well be- was also because uh, I've always been doing the colonial narratives. Hmm. And I just had this romantic idea, you know, before the arrival of pen and paper, the people of Sarawak, they always kind of like put their stories into mm. textiles, you know? Mm. When you're looking at a piece of textiles as well, these are all like, you know, stories that the weavers mm. have decided to put on because they think that this is like worthy enough to pass it on to the next generation. So my practice is kind of like a speculation of that, you know, if I'm a modern day weaver, what type of stories, contemporary stories I want to put mm. on the textiles so that I can, you know, encapsulate the story for the next next generation or like for a long time before now. So that's also why I insist at this moment, at least to use uh, weaving as a technique to tell my stories. Uh, but my weaving technique right now is called industrial weaving. So it's a mechan- in the it's an industrialized process. Um, I work with a Dutch factory here in the Netherlands uh, who traditionally makes like fabric labels, right? Oh. And then now that they invest in bigger machines. So I make textiles. But I used to work in the factory as a programmer. So what I do is I apply designs and I have to like kind of like look at the design and then I kind of like program it into the machine so the machine can weave it. So that was my job. Wow. But I mean like the whole process is also very interesting because you would assume that you know only developing countries are losing like their craftsmanship. Hmm. Like you know if reflecting on like uh, Sarawak for example there's not a lot of like interest in weaving anymore because you know even for me, moving into textiles was a big leap. When I told my parents about it, my parents were like, are you sure? What are you doing? You know, for <laughs> good education. <laughs> you're not, you're already not trying to be a lawyer for us. You're not trying to be a doctor for us. And then now you want to just go and do fabrics. So, you know, like, like go yeah, yeah. to the, the noon, like, like the people. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that's, that's exactly, that's exactly, that's exactly the stereotypical perception of what craft is in Sarawak. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like this low culture thing where, unless you're uneducated or unless you're underprivileged, this is something that you go into and you're just doing it in the middle of the village with no electricity. And that's also what stopped me from doing uh, this practice for a long, long time. It was just so happened that um, my school had a weaving workshop, a textile workshop that gave weaving lessons. And I did weaving in the evenings after my classes. Oh. I just never left the workshop, you know, every evening I'll just go in. In a weird way, it was kind of like, in when I'm in a foreign country that's so different from what I used to, at least in the evening, I had this one small activity that kind of reminded me of home. Or like, it t- t- kind of reminded, okay, this is something that I feel like it's not foreign to me, you know, this is what I'm used to or like I see people do and I'm actually good at it and I, mm-hmm. I can do it, you know. And I think that that manual laborious process reminded me of like, just reminded me of like, how it is still, how it feels to be from a developing country, you know? Mm-hmm. How like, even though I'm very privileged, you know, white school right now doing arts with all these privileged people. <laughs> the world, that, you know, this is where I come from, you know? Like the people, like even though like, you know, I don't see it anymore. The people in my land are still doing this in the middle of the jungle and at least for like three hours in the evening, I can still feel connected to that kind of thought. Mm. It's a really romanticized version of it, of course, but I mean, that's kind of where it's kind of started. Yeah, it's a slow gradual process where uh, I started weaving in the evenings and I realized that I'm actually good at it. Then I I've, I built up my confidence. Then I proposed to my parents that, like, you know, I want to do this 
full time. Then they mm. went into the exhaust. So it's not like this, like, oh, this is interesting. Let's just jump into it. Is yeah. It oh, yeah. I mean, uh, I imagine that you had, I guess, you had to question yourself a bit in terms of what that direction could be. I mean, did you know that that was the main medium you wanted to work with when you went to the academy? Or was it a gradual process of you figuring it out because I guess for, for an artist going to, I guess, an academy, I mean, you're trying to figure out what main mediums you're you're trying to use or did you try out several different type of textile techniques before you came onto weaving? Or was it like from the start you, you wanted to try weaving? Mm, it's more, I guess, more, how do you call this, non-linear or like more messier than that, I feel. It's, it's also because I already had like four or five years of education, design education in Malaysia that, you know, mm. when I got to the Netherlands as well, I already started to have these ideas in my head where you realize as well, you know, as a designer that a lot of the perception or a lot of your reality in the world, including why you feel so much shame towards a certain thing, for example, your craft, or for example, your own identity as a third world human being or developing country, third world country, it's a it's a design it's a design choice, right? And that's kind of like that's kind of like what I'm also challenging myself as well, you know, like can I also redesign this whole idea and perception of what it what it means to do craft, you know? If I were to like find a way to kind of like redo this thing and make it very cool and make it very colorful and make it like, you know, appear in museum somehow, mm-hmm. does it change the perception of you know, us as Malaysians doing craft again. You know, can I redesign that? Because if you're really thinking about it five years ago, you know, if you're looking at fashion magazines, you won't see a fat person at all. Yeah. Yeah. But now in fashion runways in Paris, if you don't have a fat person or like a big size person in your runway, you're already perceived as like a, a, a slow... Elitist. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That you're not keeping up with times, that you're not mm-hmm. keeping up with what, what the market wants as well. So all these decisions in a weird way, as a designer, when we're all designers, we all know that, you know, like, this is all design. These are all design decisions in the micro level that, you know, kind of like spirals into a giant, giant thing in the future as well. And yeah, for in, in a weird, weird way, that's also like what I'm also trying to do in my practice. It's a design perception, but then, you know, because it's philosophical and it's about life, then somehow it got picked up into the arts as well. Mm. And I'm okay with that. I'm really okay with that, you know, as long as it's like it goes somewhere, it doesn't need mm. to be categorized anything. I think it's most important that people kind of pick it up, have a thought about it, and also reflect on where they are in their lives. And that's good enough for me, I think. Yeah. I mean... I mean, you've you've showed quite a lot in uh, where you you are and in Europe. What has the perception of of the art uh, of people towards your art have been like? Uh, what because it's I, I I imagine it's a different context when I guess people in the Hague or uh, in the West see your works and the topics you bring in. I mean, I'm interested in what type of discussions come about between the audience over there and and your works? Hmm. I would say that I'm quite lucky because I think that in a weird way, it's not like my choice to be, I, I won't say that, you know, I plan to be yeah, in yes. the museum, right? Yes. It yes. just so happens that we live in a, in a time 
and people don't people might not be aware but Kenyala Circus the, the project that I did yeah. that was Stanley I started that project six years ago in that sign that was my graduation graduation project in that sign as well wow really six years ago it was, it was the same project except like back then the medium was um Large and Photoshop. Mm. I didn't have access to weaving machines yet, and I was not ready as a designer mm. to tackle such a big project yet to, mm. to do it in textiles. But it's the same exact project, the same oh, wow. as I well. And six years later, you can see that you know, like Malaysia has not changed, it changed a yeah, tiny bit. I understand. Like, <laughs> that right now, even like when I was going back home uh, in Gen- in February, they were like, Explore Borneo, the most exotic place. Like literally, the whole branding of Malaysia right mm-hmm. now is like about Borneo because that's Borneo is the next new thing. Mm. And I was like, "Whoa, it's been six years and things are not really moving." Mm. But anyways, in Europe, I think what I'm trying to say is that even though Stanley acquired my work, uh, I also have to acknowledge the fact that you know, like the discussions or the discourse right now is is at this place where they're open for conversations like this. You know, two years or three years ago, it was talking. They were talking about feminism. Yeah. And before that, they were talking about AI, right? Mm-hmm. And you can see that you know, discourses they always take turns to happen. And I think that I'm just lucky that you know, like it's the turn of the century to talk about inclusivity and diversity. And mm-hmm. I'm so happy to be in Amsterdam and Stanley happened, and there's a platform for me. It's not always the case. I I I think that I also need to let people know, and also people need to acknowledge that sometimes. It really depends on the main discourse right now. If it's popular or hip or not, I'm just oh. lucky mm. at this moment. But I'm also very glad that you know it's also my turn to speak. You know, I've been holding on to this discourse for six years, mm. closing the seven, mm. and you know, like to have this openness from the Dutch community at least to be able to want to hear me out. You know, it's a very special thing. Yeah, um, definitely. Yeah. I did tell, I did tell, I did, I did ask my lecturer, but this is a different lecturer, but in, in my yeah, yeah. school, I was like, else, I think that one day I'm going to be very famous, or at least I'm <laughs> going to be a bit famous, and I don't know how to deal with it, you know, have you ever had experience, or can you give me advice, you know, what happens if, let's say, I'm famous, I don't want to be famous, I'm shy, I don't want to be in my room, but if I don't, if I'm not famous, then, you know, like, my discourse is not going to be picked up seriously. Mm. But if mm. people pick up a serious thing, they call seriously that I might I look because I went. So she told me like, you know, Andy Warhol said this thing, uh, this this the quote one once upon a time. And it's like in the future everyone will have 15 minutes of fame. Mm. And it was so deep. Because what she's trying to imply is that, you know, now that we have already gone through like, you know, like you you realize that discourses are always like in a in a cycle and there's always trends. That also means that one day I was you know, my discourse will also fall off the trend. And mm. I will talk about something else or maybe, yeah, whatever. But what my lecturer is trying to tell me is that everyone will have 15 minutes of fame. Your fame will come in when you're nine years old. It will come when you're six years old. But it really doesn't matter what mm. or when the fame comes. It really matters, you know, like more that you're prepared for the 15 minute speech you're going to give, right? Mm-hmm. So all you can do is to prepare yourself. And when the time comes for you to speak, you know, and the mic, mic is passed to you, make sure that you know what you want to say and make sure that you say it good. And then once your turn is up, then let it go, right? The Stanley show, yes, it's great. You know, I was famous for a while in the city, but every show also needs to end so that and then the next person can speak, right? 
Mm-hmm. And the selling show has already closed. They've acquired my work. That's great. But, mm. you know, there's also this moment where you have to also just let the discourse go, you know. Yeah. And if it comes up again, it's still within me. But, you know, mm. <laughs> selling is a part of that whole long process. And mm. this, 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 this discourse about um, uh, decolonization, the work continues on even beyond me as well. So to answer your question, I think that uh, I'm grateful that I have this moment to speak. But no matter what the audience here feels, no matter what the audience here feels, the world still continues. And it's great that they gave, gave me a platform. I don't exactly know how they feel about it. Hmm. But since Stanley acquired it, I would assume that they really liked it. <laughs> but, <laughs> For sure. <laughs> yeah. But it's a, it's a it's a great advice, I think. I mean, to aspiring people who want to try and at least get their voices heard or get their discourses heard. I mean, in no matter whether it's in the in thing or the out thing, it's good to realize that the 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 cycles that you pointed out is important. That so it's it's about just keeping to your discourse, no matter if it's hip or not, and then just and then just just hope that one day that 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 particular discourse becomes strong enough that you have a platform for your 15 minutes of fame so to speak yeah. so yeah I think it's great and it sounds easy but you know it takes a lot of discipline mm. there's a lot of courage mm. there's a lot of patience but that's the practice you know and it's 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 good you know it gives me a reason to do my work <laughs> How long? Uh, how how longer do you think you'll be practicing in 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 Europe in the Hague? Is it like indefinitely, or would you like to ideally operate like here and then Malaysia a bit and then Malaysia Hague, like more? I think the ultimate goal, of course, is to do more work with Malaysians. Mm-hmm. Um, as a startup, as an artist, so there's still a lot of like mm-hmm. you know, like even calling myself an artist, I still constantly need to like tell myself that yeah, artist style. <laughs> But yeah, I mean the ultimate goal is to do is to do projects with Malaysians because I just feel like, you know, there's so much talented people here in the Netherlands and you know, I feel like I'm a bit more useful contributing my skill sets in Malaysia. Um and also there's I still believe that there's a lot of like discourses and also talents in Malaysia that deserves a bit more building as well, a bit more chance mm. platforms. Definitely, there's a lot of things for us to say there. I think one of the biggest things that I still feel with Malaysians is that there's still this like um, lack of courage to speak about issues or identify issues. As I won't say that it's a lack of criticality. It's just the lack of like courage to speak out. It's it's because of the environment that we're in. And it's fair because I'm privileged enough to be in the Netherlands where you can protest for literally everything. You can speak your rights. But you know, when you're coming... Because my background is also from Malaysia, I can only understand, you know, when, you, when you're not encouraged to speak or you're not given the space to think, sometimes it's very hard for you to kind of vocalize what you want to say to the world. Mm. But everyone wants you to say something to the world, but it's not like it gets yes. to be right? And I feel like there's space for us to kind of develop as well, like, you know, to have more stories there, to have more criticality in how we reflect on situations you know not no matter it's like if it's a big situations in politics or like small situations in like day-to-day um 
day-to-day beings as well. You know, why are we working nine hours and nine to nine to nine to ten and then still do it overtime till like twelve mm. hours to twelve AM in the morning, you know, all these small day-to-day mm. things. There's still you know, I hope that, you know, if there's a purpose to the art practice, it's for us to also have a space to, for us to reflect on small things like that. You know, to also find some sort of like curiosity in the day to day being of what a Malaysian is. Mm. Yeah. Like the Netherlands, they have a lot of answers. They have a lot of museums. They have a lot of artists. They'll, they're, 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 they're well taken care of, you know. I think Malaysia deserves a bit of love like that. So the ultimate goal is still, still to go back there, yeah. I mean, amazing, amazing. I mean, Joanne, you're, you're, you've been quiet. <laughs> you got no questions. <laughs> well, man, I, I, I spoke to him about the same thing already when I met him, when I catch up with him in uh, in Amsterdam. Is it? No, no, Amsterdam is Rotterdam, yeah. He brought me to his studio as well. Oh, nice. Man, I, I want to visit your studio, my gosh, one day. Yeah. I mean, I, I yeah, I, I'm currently in Dubai. So if, if you happen to transit in Dubai, just roger me. I mean, I'll be you around. <laughs> let me, yeah, I'll let you know. Maybe one day. Yeah. I'm still still very occupied here, but I still I do want to find time maybe next year or the year after the next when my finances are a bit more stable to also go out to see the world. I feel like no worries. I'm a bit trapped in my work for a bit too long. <laughs> yeah, man. But anyways, we are we are we reached the time for me. Yeah, but I think it was yeah. a great, great It was a great session. It was great. It was great. Yeah, man. it was, it was great. great. Very nice. I, I love it. Yeah. <laughs> and, and and then your message was really clear. It's like trying yeah. not to hold something too too precious and to be consistent about your own discourse as well. And then you have your time on the to speak, right? I think it's super important. Yeah. Yeah. I'm glad that I can contribute something. <laughs> oh no, thank you so much, sure. Thank you so much. <laughs> no, thank you. Thank you for having yeah. me.